Welcome. This talk was recorded at Insight LA in Long Beach. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit us at InsightLA.org. Okay, so go ahead and find a relaxed yet alert posture. Close your eyes if you'd like. Um, I always recommend that if you're getting a little sleepy during the practice, you can always open your eyelids a little bit. That helps to stay alert. Just take a moment to take a few deep breaths to connect into the room, each other, starting to connect with the body. going to start with a brief body scan just to allow us to begin to meet the body with awareness. This offering an intro also to relax a little bit, to offer a sense of ease. And so coming to the crown of our head, we're going to move through the body with what I call like a wave scan. It's something I'm trying these days. We'll see how it works for you. So a traditional body scan is just moving down or up in one direction. We're gonna actually move more in waves as we move down from the crown and then back up to the crown and we'll move through sections of the body. So the first section we're gonna work with is from the crown of the head to the throat. Once we let our attention begin to gently move down and our body awareness to begin to meet the forehead and eyes, just allow the forehead to flatten, allow the eyes to rest. You come into the cheeks and jaw. If you let your lips just part a little bit, the jaw often can relax and release. And as we meet our throat, the elevator starts to go back up again, back through the jaw, cheeks, eyes, nose, into the forehead and crown. And each time we make a pass or a wave, see if you can relax deeper. See if you can release more tension in the muscles and any inner energetic contractions. If you can't, that's also fine. The whole idea for today is kindness, which means also knowing our limits and Letting be with that. So as you wave back to the crown and begin to come back down the face, forehead, eyes, jaw, just feel the sensations of that as you wave through. And moving down into the next section, the space between our throat and chest, just find your shoulders, find your throat allowing the shoulders to rest and relax. And here we're beginning also to notice where we're contracted today, where we're tense. And I really want to invite you into a space of tenderness around that, which means allowing, often what I call a compassionate presence. 
you begin to move into the chest. This is a space that's often quite complicated for us. <laughs> I'll just put it that way. Often for me personally, I can tell when I'm contracting into myself because my chest is tight. There's a sense of self there strongly for us. Sometimes the, the sense can also be in the head or behind the eyes. Just notice that as you wave through and wave back into the shoulders and throat. Again, mainly what we're doing here is we do a passive scan. Is we just let ourselves relax. Just inviting our tension to release. And when you reach the chest once again, feel free to wave down now into the midsection coming down into the abdomen. Another place where we can contract the abdomen due to emotional constriction. As you meet that, just let the belly loosen and relax. And if it won't or can't, totally fine. No pushing here. As you come back up into the mid-body, just notice what that feels like as you wave back down And moving into the hips and sit bones. And as we do that, noticing the connection with your seat, whether you're on a chair or on the ground. This is going to be the next component of our practice, moving into relation with our seat and the ground. And so as you scan through the hips into the upper legs, Noticing whatever's arising there for you and then scanning back up into the hips. And when you're ready, back down, all at your own pace. And eventually, as we begin to move down the legs, through the knees, calves, eventually into our feet and toes, we're now going to Focus on our relationship to the earth, our relationship to the ground below us. So whether it's your sit bones, legs, calves, touching the floor below you or just the feet, connect with the sensation of that. So let your awareness find that sensation. And of course, the thinking mind is going to want to come and hang out with you. It's going to want to know what's going on. It's going to want to get involved. It usually does. Just keep coming back to the sensation in the body, just gently dropping in, especially to that relationship to the earth. We're not pushing away the thinking mind. We're not demonizing the thinking mind. We're actually being tender with the thinking mind. I often think, poor guy, he just wants to get involved. He just wants to help but you're really not helping me right now. Sorry to tell you. You kind of offer him space to relax and then just gently drop down into the feet. What we're going to do now, if you're aware of this sensation of the bottom, of, bottom half of your body or feet connecting with the earth, 
we're going to move from an awareness of this to actually inhabiting this space. So the difference here is awareness is like a watcher or observer. It's the first step in our meditative process. And when we practice embodied awareness meditation, we're going to move towards inhabiting and living from or perceiving from that space in the body. So see if you can begin to shift that attitude and perspective and begin to perceive your experience through your connection to the earth. And just sit with that. Just be with that. Just allow what's taking place to take place. There is no right or wrong here. There's just experience and becoming aware and inhabiting that experience. As human beings, we have many different kinds of relationships with the earth we live and walk on. For some of us, it's something we're connected to, it's something we feel nurtured by, we get energy from, we readily connect with it, and it's different kind of elemental expressions. And also for some of us, and this could also be in the same person at different times in our life or different times in our day, we connect with it more as a cold, lifeless ground. This is a not-so-new cultural reference to the earth, which has allowed colonization and now globalization to take from the earth, where if you think of something as lifeless and meaningless, easy to do harm to it and to take from it. There's no ethical obligation there. And this is a mistake. This is not true. Whatever your connection is, we're going to explore now a connection to this ground and earth as a nurturing force. For some, there's a reason why culturally it's referred to as a mother, and so if our the sense of a mother principle is intact for us and healthy, you can use that. If not, you can use just another sense of a caring figure representing a nurturing force for you. So rather than a cold, lifeless ground, we imagine a warmth, a care, a presence that we can connect with right now. And it's not conceptual. We're feeling it in the body, through the feet, through the legs. But we're still in embodied awareness, embodied inhabiting the body. What does it feel like when you begin to open yourself up to connecting with this nurturing force? Opening the meditation from a self-help, self-interest meditation to a relational meditation. There's a curiosity here. There's a tenderness. There's also a sense of the heart beginning to widen. Let's see if you can connect with that or allow that. If that's not happening in a way you think it should be happening, it doesn't matter. There's no 
special thing or prize we're supposed to get out of this. It's all about exploring. And so for some people, what feels really nurturing is to let yourself be held within the earth, almost as if you're in a womb, being cared for. It's a safe place. It's a kind place. And for others, it feels more comfortable to connect to the more spacious, vast element of the earth. The vastness of the land it occupies. Just letting that expand our embodied connection to it. Just spend a few moments playing with that. Notice what feels grounding, nurturing, and warm for you, and what doesn't. And move towards the nurturing. Move towards the tender and warm. Remember to breathe. Sometimes I forget. Notice what's shifting in your body. For me, the energy that is predominant in my head and chest begins to settle. It's like a snow globe that we stop shaking and we put down. So let the earth absorb this from you. It's a nurturing force that doesn't absorb it and necessarily take it on. It transforms it. From here, we're going to shift into the rest of the body. If this was helpful for you, you, you can always come back to this connection to the earth as a safe, caring place, as a nurturing place, especially if you begin to meet things in the body that are too overwhelming or too uncomfortable. I'm going to keep emphasizing this word kindness, and later I'll define it a little bit more specifically. But kindness here, in general, means allowing and dropping the judgment. Doesn't mean we have to smile all the time or be happy all the time. It's just a loving embrace that's willing to bear witness to whatever is arising. So what we're going to do now through the body is to come up from the feet and to enter the rest of the body like we're entering a tube or a balloon is expanding. And see what that feels like. Not a conceptual idea. Just expand that balloon into the rest of the body and this is like a 360 degree experience. And when we meet the rest of the body from the head to the toes, the feeling body, the sensations, emotions, 
energies flowing through the body. You don't have to do anything with them. Just meet them. Just connect, be aware, and relax. And just stay with that for a moment. I'll let you explore that expansion. Here you may start to notice areas of the body and emotional content or sensations or energies in the body that are asking for your attention or are demanding it or I would say are uncomfortable, something we don't necessarily want to feel. And maybe you're noticing something comfortable, something joyful, a bliss or a sense of presence and openness, whatever that is. Just begin to connect with that part of the body, that part of yourself. And we're going to do this very gently with the kindness of allowing, the kindness of non-judgment. So the conceptual mind is definitely going to want to get involved here. It usually is what we're relying on to understand our emotional experience, to understand our sensations in the body and these parts of ourself. And again, the process is to not push that away, but just gently come back to the body again and again. And feel. What's really important here is the embrace that we're coming to our experience with. We're not coming with an agenda. We're not coming with a sense of fixing or manipulating or controlling. And for me personally, those are very strong habits. So they may just be arising. So we're also noticing those habits. But we're inviting in more of a loving embrace, a sense of tenderness, warmth, and just availability. I call this practice a deep practice of listening. But we're not listening with the ears, we're listening to the body through the body. This could be a certain part of the body that you need to move to, the belly area, the chest, a shoulder. Could be a sensation or could be an emotion. Whatever it is, whatever is the loudest voice, just begin to be present to that. Just meet that with kindness and awareness. There's really nothing to do here, because when we do something, we're fixing, we're controlling, we're manipulating. So instead, we let be, listen, and wait. I often get the imagery in my mind when I'm meeting parts of myself that are 
not mature, or haven't caught up to where I am conceptually in my life. They're wounds or relational injuries or relational traumas that are arising. They're sort of like my kids. And what is the kindest way I could treat those parts of myself? Do I lecture them? Do I yell at them? Do I shove them in a closet? No, not kind. So instead we meet them. We listen. We let them rage if they want to rage. We watch. We let them cry if they want to cry and we watch. We let them feel joy if they want to feel joy and we watch. That's essentially the practice. I'm going to give you a few minutes of silence to work with that. here for those of us where there's not much arising that's okay just continue to be in the body you're just allowing a space for whatever wants to arise to arise and while it's not coming we're just resting in a very relaxed way in the body but not checking out we're fully present and aware and for those of us where there is something arising especially if it's in the uncomfortable department our fight uh, fight-flight-freeze mechanisms might be triggering. Just notice that. Mm 
Notice what happens if you shift into a space of love, a space of care and kindness. And also recognizing when you need to come out of the practice or come back to a grounding space. You don't have to push here. There's a fine line between meeting something with kindness, warmth, and tenderness and re-traumatizing ourselves. So we have to be gentle, kind, and just be present. And I know for some of us, it's not easy to connect with the vulnerability I'm personally very stoic, and it took me a long time to just allow a vulnerability with inside me, that it's allowed to exist, it's allowed to express itself, and I'm also allowed to not be carried away by it. So where is that space? Can we find that space? For now, whatever area of the body you've been meeting and listening to, whatever emotion or sensation, we're going to begin to expand the practice out and shift it into the post-meditation. So, Just as we did at the beginning of the practice, we're going to expand back into a 360-degree view of the body. And this is a felt view not an image, not a visualization. Feeling the feet, feeling the legs, feeling our seat, feeling our back, shoulders, belly, arms, neck, and head. Just allowing that to be, just connecting to the flows of energy within the body. From here, we'll connect with the rest of our sensory experience. Sound is one that often takes us out of our meditation practice, but it doesn't have to. We can just also become aware of sound and meet the sounds around us without the overlay of uh, thinking narrative. So see if you can meet sound without narrating it. Again, just each time the thinking mind wants to narrate, we drop back into just hearing sound. And this applies whether we like the sound or not. Same with our sense of smell, taste.
And here in a moment, I'm going to ask you to open your eyes, and this isn't the close of the meditation. So I just want to point that out. We're going to continue to remain still in our posture and aware and awake. We simply just let our eyelids open gently and connect with our sense of sight. Without gazing around the room, just connect with what's right in front of you. doesn't matter what it is. See if you can stay within the body, but now we're expanding the senses out. So this feels the opposite of what a contraction feels like into the body. It feels like an expansion based on more grounded presence. Stay with that for a moment. join me, I'm going to uh, take refuge and generate what's called a bodhicitta motivation. Chitta meaning heart-mind and bodhi meaning awakened. And so this is a process of where as a group uh, and me kind of, I guess, guiding it today, <laughs> um, I hope to move our collective uh, experience into uh, an awakened process. doesn't mean it's going to happen today, but the idea is sort of shoving it in that direction, <laughs> or I guess allowing it to go in that direction. So that's why I chant refuge. This is where I find safety in the, the awakened principle of the Buddha, the Dharma as the path, and the Sangha as the uh, uh, community of awakened practitioners that I tap into as mentors. Yeah? So you feel free to close your eyes and just connect to that if you want, if you have a connection to that, and if not, just sit B. Sangye Chodan, Sangye Chonam, Jancho Bardo, Dani, Kamsu, Chin, Bagye, Jinso, Gipe, Sonam, Ki, Drona, Penshir, Sangye, Drupar, Show. Sangye Chodan, Sangye Chonam, Jancho Bardo, Dani, Kamsu, Chin. Bagi jinso gipe sonam ki drona pencher sangye drubar shu. Sangye chodang sogye chonam ma janjo bardu dangi kyapsu chi. Bagi jinso gipe sonam ki drona pencher sangye drubar shu. Thank you. So, 
How did the practice go for you? I'd love to hear from some of you. What came up? Um, uh, when you were talking about um, when we were the nurturing of the ground, mm-hmm. I found that being a being a parent, I found if I try to hold myself or what's coming up with that similar compassion I give to my children, it's a lot uh, easier to work with, but still difficult to apply. Yeah. Um, and then you had mentioned that a little bit after, so that was, that was good. And then um, feeling the support of the earth is not just like a mother or a father, but just uh, like a constant uh, through just everything in my life, whatever it may be, you know, it's always there, right? Like even if you're at the end of everything, they say hit rock bottom, but you're there, right? It's there to catch you. Yeah. So it was something to look back and like really appreciate that too and, and, and validate it's always being to support I like that yeah that, that energy of appreciation yeah, yeah. And, and just recognizing that it is there always yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. thank you yeah you're welcome uh, besides our mother it's kind of one of our first relationships you know in a way what's funny is actually like it's it's difficult for me because my mom left when I was a kid, baby yeah. So it's really like that's tricky, why. I, yeah, know? that's why I offered the opportunity. It doesn't have to be thought of thank as a mother you, principle. Yeah, yeah. Um, but then it, it was like in my mind to see that, and it's like it brought up everything. Like, yeah. oh, my mom, not a mom, not a whatever comes up. But then it was as a parent, it was like let's move through that and just have that compassion, compassion. Yeah. Not label it or anything. Just accept that being there. Yeah, and I think in a deeper way, it's sort of what we're tapping into here is the, from a Buddhist perspective, I'm going to speak today, I didn't frame it out, but obviously, most of you know I come and give a little bit more traditional Buddhist teachings. Today's going to be a little bit unique, and then I'm going to be using different languaging, but it's based in Buddhism still. It's sort of like um, what I'm about to say is kind of connected to that, which when we talk more experience, we can put different language to it, right? And so it's sort of like the, the mothering principle and remothering ourselves sometimes because of the fracturing in our families and socially and all that. Um, it's really connected in Buddhism to our Buddha nature, right? Which is the ultimate mother principle. It's connected to the deity Prajnaparamita. And uh, so this deity is a, is, a, is a feminine principle. It's a female principle. And in Tibetan Buddhism, it's like a four-armed female deity or a two-armed female deity. And what she represents and symbolizes is ultimate wisdom, the ultimate spacious expanse of our true nature, which we call a Buddha nature or Tathagatagarbha, which I'll go into more today. But I don't want to go into it so much as a theory or a concept, but the, more or less it's, it's something that is um, indwelling. It's not created. It can't be destroyed. It's not our soul but it's our basic essence that on the Buddhist path we are trying to connect with and uncover. 
And from especially a Mayana Buddhist perspective, that's the whole point of the Buddhist path, is to awaken that capacity and to come into that, which isn't a thing. It's not like a presence. It's just a free, spacious, compassionate yeah, energy. And so that, I think, can act as like a remothering principle too. Because it, it in Tibetan Buddhism, the, the feminine principle has an aspect of space. Of, of like welcoming and the space is not an empty space or a cold space it's a it's a tender nurturing space that is free and completely alive so it's like trying to touch here trying to grab this but at the same time there's uh, so there's nothing whatsoever yet the expression is complete uh, as the Buddha described it uh, in one in one way when he attained enlightenment under the Bodhi tree it's like beyond constructs called it like a a blissful kind of space but not bliss how we normally think of it so anyways I want to throw that in there it's kind of on the topic today so it's a good point I I just something I've noticed was interesting about earth as opposed to some of the other elements I personally identify more with the motion of like fire water Mm. things that are in movement and Mm -hmm. so the, the ground for me sometimes you know, the first thing I think about is mud and getting kind of enveloped in mud and getting stuck. And mm. so there's a lot of, um, you know, I was going, kind of landing on this concept of ground and the earth that I was going, I had to, to sort of settle with. Um, but I think for me, just the, the idea of sort of this is a, you know, nurturing was, was really, because I've generally had a... Mm my relationship with the earth has been very different from some of the other relationships that I've had with other concepts. So. Yeah. Interesting. yeah, thanks for sharing that. I'm also curious, uh, once we entered kind of the scope of the body, because that was the main practice of sort of meeting emotion, meeting sensation, meeting energy or relational trauma and, and how that came up for anybody. First, sometimes we're just doing it randomly too, so it's just sometimes you're not necessarily... Something's not up, and it doesn't have to be. It's just a practice also of interceptive awareness, of meeting the body and growing, I call it our embodied awareness muscle. Kind of growing that, yeah. yeah, this is something um, that comes up for me often when I do sitting practice is, huh, so there's a dropping in right away, and there could be some <clears throat> subtle things going on, you know, there's this intention to actually meet what has been present throughout the day or feels really alive, and then that becomes much more nuanced, and I'm sort of frustrated in a way. I mean, I'm, I feel more peace, mm-hmm. which I'm, I mean, certainly, like, the practice that you just did with feeling the ground and feeling, like, that's automatically, like, really grounding and really connecting and so that those other aspects don't seem as present oh I see so yeah and that's not just today it seems to be a a little bit of a that's a good question so it's it's like it sort of feels like you're wondering if there's a bypass happening Mm -hmm. yeah 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 Yeah, that's a really good one Um, I when I up till recently when I guide this kind of practice um, in a group setting I do it more like we're doing here in a one to one setting it acts more like a somatic healing practice that's very more intuitive and more um, allows for kind of more conversation on what's arising and a little bit more uh, 
nuance and specialty. With a group, I you know it's just general. But I've been throwing in this this more earth connection because um, some of us are just so disembodied, and it's just we don't have a culture of embodied people here mostly, and we're not taught it, we're not educated on it, and we live mostly in this part of our body, in, in the head. We perceive the self from here, we perceive our sense of being, and we value very much the conceptual mind and the material. And so you can see the results of this because we're suffering a lot emotionally. Uh, if you're a therapist, uh, you know, you're going to fill with clients pretty, pretty quickly, you know, if you're a decent therapist, <laughs> right? Uh, so there's reasons for this. So that's one reason I introduce it. But with that said, um, that I am a little reticent for the reason you just said, which is it is very inviting and grounding. And then, you know, all the stuff that was kind of firing and, you know, crunchy and bound maybe loosens. So in one way, that's no problem. That's a good thing. Maybe, you know, we get a chance for some release. Um, but um, ultimately, we can just, if, we, if we'd like, we don't have to start with the grounding practice. We could just, if we have some body awareness already, and we're, we have some ability with that, we can just move straight into meeting and listening to whatever's there. Um, I would say as long as we know how to titrate and if there's trauma arising and things like that, right? We, it's all about gentle. Titrate like um, coming back to the breath or coming out of the practice, knowing how to resource if we get overwhelmed. So this is important in the sense that it's turning towards something is not always the most healthy thing, right? So we have to know, it's more like how are we turning towards? That's why I'm saying if we turn towards with a full embrace of love, of compassion, it's a much different process and experience. But doing that, saying that and doing that, like this gentleman was saying, is two different things. It takes practice to be able to do that. So then we need to resource out. So, so yeah, that is an interesting conundrum where it's like when I do this, when I'm, when I'm usually uh, prescribing practice for people in, in my one-to-one mentoring, I, um, I usually don't tell them to do breath meditation first for that reason. Because breath meditation soothes um, the, vagal nerve, the vagal tone a little bit and it also soothes the nervous system. And... Um, and then it kind of like, then you don't have anything to meet. And we are so overwhelmed that we are really thirsty to just numb out a lot of us, right? We're really thirsty to just, okay, give me something to check out because I don't want to feel this. And a lot of meditation is being practiced like that in this country. Um, that's not really what the Buddha taught. It's a, it's a, it's a little bit of a, uh, uh, what do you call it? I don't want to completely bag on it because it can be helpful. It's like a stepping stone, right? Where we just may need some temporary relief and then we get a little bit more relief, more ease, and then we can move into using meditation for awakening, learning to get to know every part of ourselves in the world. And, and that's where the Buddha really prescribed a turning towards. I mean, it's, it's very obvious in the first noble truth. You know, it's really turning towards. But I think this is where the teaching when it comes into new cultures and shifts, you know, we can have different approaches and different preliminary steps for people. And that doesn't have to also be at the expense of the Dharma, the Buddha Dharma. And that's a tricky part for some of us Buddhist teachers we're exploring, which is like how to not water down the Buddha Dharma, but if you just present it all traditionally, it's not always accessible for people. Right? For me personally, um, I just beat my head against the wall for a lot of years until it sort of clicked. But I will say, it, was in, it wasn't until one of my main mentors, one of my main teachers, 
that thing started to shift for me because he gave me the permission to feel. And he taught me how to do that, which no other Tibetan teacher had done up to that point. Because they just, culturally, it's like, they're like, duh, just feel. Like, it's, you know what I mean? It's like, it's not, it's not, in their culture, it's intact. It's not fractured. Community isn't fractured. Uh, it's not a heavily individualistic culture. Uh, now it's changing. Um, now they're in diaspora, so there's a lot of things changing. Uh, you know, it's not heavy, heavily individualistic. It's not heavily reliant on the conceptual. It's, it's a little bit more integrated between the somatic and the conceptual. So, yeah. So it's like these small correctives that need to happen. But yet, how do we not... How do we know that balance when we need to resource and soothe, and then when we're just using that as a bypass mechanism to not feel? And to not actually, and to use it as an avoidance technique. And that's a subtle thing we each have to find out. Anyways, more than what you were asking, but it prompted all that. Yeah. Um, so, I don't know if you can say something about this. So, I would say that it's very challenging um, for many of us to connect with the body. Um, and so, something that came up with me is. Um, making the attempt to connect but what if um you don't feel anything yeah, yeah. so um like trying to get grounded um in with the attempt to trying to get grounded you you meet emptiness or mm -hmm. or nothing mm -hmm. and so in moments like that, it can be anxiety-provoking, yeah. um, and and so I don't know, like, what kind of recommendation you would make. I mean, I understand that, um, you know, having the awareness of that emptiness or nothingness is a practice in itself. Um, but what I find is that, you know, there's that motivation, like, yeah, let's, you know, I'm definitely going to do this practice, it's great, um, but then I do the practice, experience anxiety, and then I'm not so much motivated anymore. Yeah, of course, yeah. Um, so then, you know, like, what kind of recommendation? Yeah, make? no, that's, that's a really good question, and it's also really common. And I mean, my experience of that was, like, some of us feel numbness. And dis that's more of a dissociative quality, right. where it's just not safe in the body, right? So we, 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 we have the wound of not being able to access it because of that, um, which is healable. You know, it's, it's changeable. For me personally, it was more of like an anxious attachment pattern and, and not a, I wouldn't call it a capital T trauma, more of a relational trauma I dealt with, uh, where it was kind of like a mixed signal from my caring figures, like sometimes love, but mixed with anger and rage too. And so that... So for me, my challenge was, was to go, I'm going to answer your question, but I'm just kind of giving a range here for folks. My challenge was to meet the anxiety, right? Even though the anxiety is like, leave me the fuck alone, like, don't touch me, you know? And my challenge was to try and meet that again and again with love. So with numbness or dissociation or just not being able to feel, um, it's very much a different take of like, so what I heard in your question too was, maybe a de-emphasis of what I was trying to emphasize more in the practice, which is, it is a practice of love, essentially. And that's the, the really special component in, in that case. And I'm going to give you a few different 
things to play with. There's not like one answer, right? But when we offer a space of a loving embrace, which just means a tenderness, um, a curiosity, kind of mm, working with this idea that maybe we are actually worthy and kind of giving it a shot with that, even though the limbic system and the brain and the thinking mind is saying, no, 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 you suck, no, no, no. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm not saying you're thinking that, but this can happen to people, right? The brain's telling us something different. So we just show up continually with that sense of love and presence. And it's not like gritting your teeth. That's what I was trying to emphasize. It's not gritting our teeth and just like diving in and forcing it. It's really coming with a lot of tenderness and love. And so that's why I would say for some people, this isn't the first step, this practice. Meta practice would be the first step, which is more conceptual because we're offering phrases of, of uh, loving kindness, right? May you be happy, may you be healthy, may you be at ease, may you be at peace. And so it's kind of retraining the, the, the mind or the, the brain to think in those capacities, which eventually can begin to shift into an opening of feeling. So yeah, it just depends on the person and kind of to try different things there. But I would say really usually the obstacles is we don't know how to approach with love because we don't, we didn't have a, we don't have a mirroring for that. You see what I'm saying? So it's, it's doable. It's just, it takes time and it takes kind of showing up again and again and again with that loving presence and embrace, which I'll describe more because I think love is a really confusing word in our culture. And a lot of people, oh, does that mean I just like smile at it? No, because love could actually be a bypass too, right? It can be like, oh, I don't want to feel so I'm just going to like send this a bunch of love, right? It can be like one of those things. And that's not really what I mean. It's like a lot of non-judgment and space and tenderness. So that kind of attitude takes time to develop. It's not immediate for some of us. So I'll just say that. And then when it produces anxiety, um, yeah, that's a bit of an issue. Because uh, again, like I was saying, it can, it can, if we don't know how to approach in that way, it can be re-triggering for trauma. Mm. And so that's what we don't want, right? And that's where turning towards the body is not always the best step for some people. That's where we might need some other healing modalities and techniques um, I was just listening to a really good talk on like the limbic system. I don't know anything about the limbic system, but it sounds interesting. And it sounds like there's a lot going on there where we may have a loop of the limbic system due to trauma. And we need to kind of first deal with that. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah. So it's not kind of one thing. It's a few things. And with this technique, the way I'm teaching it, it's more developing that loving presence, you know, over time. Yeah, I've um, learned that there's a side effect to practicing meditation. And no question. The side effect yeah. is that you become aware. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, and that's luck, luckily that's being talked about now more openly, and there's books being written on it. You know, as like, because I came up in really traditional Buddhism, it's no surprise to me the Buddha didn't promise we'd feel good. He actually didn't. You know. And so we just kind of whitewashed it, and you know, not you, but you know, people whitewashed the tradition and made it a self-help thing, right? And this is why I don't personally teach self-help meditation or these things, because they're, they're, uh, uh, it's not really, it's like a Band-Aid. Trying to put a Band-Aid on a massive wound, it just doesn't work. So yeah, you're correct, and I think that's where we just need to be more trauma-informed with practice and realize meditation isn't the, the end-all be-all. It's not like the only answer for when we're talking about the healing world. It was really set up by the Buddha for awakening, which is a pretty intense process. 
I mean, it's not a, uh, it's not always a fun process. And so I think teachers should be more responsible that we should be, we are responsible for telling people that, right? So, yeah. But there's also ways to do it very gently. And I, can, I think that's my feeling here is how to frame it in a way that's culturally appropriate. Because whether we're dealing with capital T trauma or more relational injury and relational trauma, most of us have some kind of trauma. It's just like, you know, it's pretty abrasive, uh, dis dissociated culture we're in at this point. And, and, uh, and then the, the, the movement into more and more individualism, more and more self-interest makes it even more isolated and lonely. So it's hard to resource because we don't feel connected with ourselves, we don't feel connected with others. But the good news is, it's changeable, definitely. I'm not, I'm not kidding. My life has really changed in the last 10 years. I mean, I don't like talking about myself or my practice in traditional Buddhism, we don't, because it's seen as very arrogant, especially from an Asian cultural perspective. But I think sometimes we need people to say, like, this works when you do it. If you, if you put time, and it's different for all of us, it's not the same. Like, my my path is not going to be the same as your path. And at the same time, I think when we put the energy and we find the resources we need, we put it all together, this is what's unique nowadays, is I do think that the healing path for a Buddhist eventually can lead into the awakened path. They're not exactly the same thing, but they can function together. But right now, we have to make a distinction between what is healing and what is awakening. They are a little bit different. In my opinion. More than your question, but it brought it up. <laughs> Thank you for that, though. Yeah, because a lot of people, I think, share that experience. And it's really important to vocalize that. And then there's kind of like, there's a lot of articles coming out, too, spreading fear around this, which I think, meaning like, oh, mindfulness is, you know, trying to like say, like, mindfulness doesn't work or something, you know? And it's like, no, it works. It's just, you have to be, it's nuanced. It's not like a black and white conversation. So, with that, I think I'm at a good segue point to say a little bit more, um, and then we'll either do some more practice or we can open it up more to discussion, Q&A. Um, so what I'm exploring it, it, very much, as, as it just came out in, after that last question, is this element of uh, healing, awakening, um, which is healing is not, I, 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 don't, I don't know, maybe someone else has an opinion who knows traditional Buddhism well, I, I don't think it's a it was never framed in that way. You know, it's more of a Western interpretation of some of these things. But what we're seeing here is how can we access our deeper Buddha nature if we can't even access the body, or it's hard for us to do that. And where does awakening happen? Does it happen in the thinking mind? No, it happens in the body, right? So in traditional Buddhist cultures, they have something called citta. And citta just refers to, they often translate it as mind. I'm kind of using a nuanced term now, which is heart-mind. Because usually when we point to mind in Buddhism, we point here, right? And this is because uh, in the most uh, uh, subtle description, uh, I would say the least vague description of mind uh, comes from the Vajrayana tradition in Tibetan Buddhism, which actually has a whole uh, pedagogy and scientific exploration of the energy body, the subtle body, right? Chinese Taoism uh, has it a little bit too and some other traditions. But anyways... So the most subtlest level of consciousness, the consciousness that came in, when it came into this body, it resides here in the heart. And this is also where it parts from, right? So at the end, at the end of our life, when the elements and aggregates begin to dissolve, eventually 
there's subtle drops in the subtle body that come together and at that moment consciousness is completely laid bare and it's and we call this uh, mother luminosity and it's full essence of spacious aware buddha nature completely free from constructs and so for practitioners we're trying to train in that awake awareness to recognize that at the time of death right but if we aren't connected with the body it's really hard to connect with that and so for me personally this has been my struggle very much through practice kind of using trying to use my head so trying to use the thinking mind to get out of the thinking mind <laughs> it doesn't really work in Tibetan Buddhism we do have practices for using analytical meditation and, and they do in Theravada Buddhism as well in fourth foundation you do kind of use insight to investigate the arising of certain factors and also hindrances things like that but anyways um, you know, it's not the same kind of process. So in Tibetan Buddhism, we may like analyze the nature of something, but they, they consider it's like two sticks rubbing together, and then eventually they catch fire and drop into non-conceptuality, right? But for me, it wasn't really that. It was more just like spinning my thoughts again and again and again, and stuck in some kind of loop, anxiety loop. So like I was getting to, I think it's important to describe that we can, you know, there can be changes. And so through steady body awareness practice, especially in the way I just showed you, um, a lot shifted for me, a lot opened, a lot of wounds healed. And it's not like wounds heal and they're gone. It's more like we shift our relationship to those wounds. Mm -hmm. And actually, you know, like I was saying, my anxiety is still there. But I'm just like, hey, what's up, man? How you doing today? You want some coffee? <laughs> and before I'd be like, no, 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 no coffee. You know, you're not getting any coffee. It's going to make you crazier than you already are. <laughs> but anyways... Um, so, so we can have shifts. Now, is this like some big spiritual realization? No, no, no. It's just being a human being, you know? That's why I feel open to talk about it. It's just coming into like being a healthy human being. It's nothing that big deal. It's not a big deal that much, you know? Awakening, that's a big deal, you know? And if you think you're awakened, don't tell anybody. <laughs> Definitely don't write a book. Definitely don't make a website about it, okay? If you want to kind of, you know... I do think there's some really, really nice things culturally that we don't have to throw the baby out with the bathwater. Like this idea, like, um, you know, you ask a Buddhist master, you know, even like the Dalai Lama, you say, are you, are you enlightened? He's like, oh, no, no, I need to laugh at you, you know? Mm. He's totally enlightened. I mean, look at the guy, you know? <laughs> I don't know. If that's not enlightenment, I don't know what is, you know? So, or at least he's very realized, you know, he's very developed. We could just say that at least. So anyways, he would just say, oh, I'm just a monk, you know, just, you know. So, so there's a, there's a, and he means it. He's not lying, you know? And so there's a cultural perspective of that that's very nice and humble because it doesn't make it about the self, you know? Not about the self-promotion. It's about, it's about us. It's about we. How do we awaken to shift into um, a co what I call a co-awakening, like this idea of community and how we, we can lift everybody up, right? That's very much uh, aligned in the Buddhist principles. So what, you know kind of connecting the dots. This is a big topic, so it's kind of like I'm trying to connect the dots today. So maybe to lay out a little bit more something systematic. So for me, I find the fragmentation we're often experiencing based off of our, our ego structure and just the covering over of this Buddha nature I was talking about, which is fully there. It's not like Buddha nature is out there or you have to, if you pray to the Buddha enough, he'll give it to you or you pray to some god and, and they'll give it to you. It's not like that. Buddha nature is here. It's indwelling in, in, our, in our heart mind, in our chitta, in its ultimate nature when we recognize that. 
And so the Buddhist idea is we have, every being has the potential for awakening because of that. Every being has the possibility for it if we uh, uh, have the tools and resources and we practice the path to bring that about and awaken that. And so I often think, you know, I've been thinking and trying to apply different language to this because we have uh, academic language in, in especially Tibetan Buddhism to describe this. There's a lot of sutras written on this, like the the Tathagatagarbha Sutra, I think the Lotus Sutra even talks about this a little bit. You know, these are what we call consider third turnings of the wheel of the Buddha, where first the Buddha uh, put out like ethical guidelines, codes, began to talk about anatta and not-self, uh, and then that moved into the teachings in the second turning on Prajnaparamita, where the emptiness teachings on Shunyata became more broad, and there was a lot more, uh, uh, this is how Tibetan Buddhists categorize it, uh, there's a lot more methods for doing that. And then into the third turning, which really didn't just describe what something is not, which is what the second turning does. It sort of cuts away all of our delusion and projection. That's what the second turning of the uh, Wheel of the Dharma is really good at. The third turning then says, well, what, what, is, what expands or what expresses uh, from that falling away of projection? And this is really interesting, because sometimes we get stuck in the coldness of, oh, it's all about just dropping all the projection, right? But what happens if you drop the projection? You're still there. There's, you know, it's like, it didn't, it didn't, you didn't just cease to exist. That's not, that would be a totally bogus religion. I wouldn't want to do that, you know? <laughs> but that's not the case. Actually, from that, it ex the Buddha nature can actually expand. But it's very difficult to talk about, because then it seems like a soul. It seems like we're saying then, there's something. But here's where, you know, it gets into a little bit more academic philosophical things of the unity of what we call relative and ultimate truth, or the unity of appearance and emptiness. But anyways, I'm not going there today. It's not really the topic. But I did want to say that in the sense of getting now into more experiential language, what's really, what are the divisions here uh, that we could talk about that are getting in the way of connecting with that Buddha nature? One is just awareness. We're lost in our projections. We're lost in thoughts. We're lost in, you know, we identify very strongly with an emotion or a certain aggregate, right? Yeah, it's condition, it's habitual, and we identify very strongly. So the fragmentation of, I mean, really, I like the e I, like, I see it like the egoic mind, like this is okay, this isn't, the, like mm. you said, the fragmentation of our, like, volume and experience. Exactly, yeah. So that, so that ego mind has one structure, and it exists on a compartmentalized existence. It, it has to separate and divide in order to thrive, in order to exist. It has to, has to make categories, it has to say... This is myself right now, then in an hour the self changes, the self is hungry, myself is eating, right? Whatever emotion is arising, that self. And we don't recognize this because there's no awareness of that. So the first step in the Buddhist process is very much just gaining that awareness based off of an ethical basis, right? Having a ground of ethics, which provides sanity, right? Because we're practicing some form of nonviolence, of non-harm. And then awareness. And then as we grow that capacity for awareness, we reach the first step, which is breaking down the division between self and self. That's how I call it, right? This isn't traditional language, it's just my kind of bullshit New Age stuff. <laughs> so, so anyways, um, which I just have fun with lately, right? The point is to get the point. Other than that, you know, that's what language is there for. It's just pointing somewhere, right? So anyways, um, mm, so this division is more related to the practice we're doing today, and really the topic of today, which is touching the, the ground of the body with kindness, which is this separation between 
heart mind and conceptual mind or the separation between body and mind that we've artificially created. And again, I don't want to say all the bad news because you might think it's your fault. It's not your fault, right? It's just the habituation and conditioning from our culture and from how we're raised and how we hold space as a community in this country. We hold space like this, right? <laughs> not like this. When you go to Nepal or India, it's like spaces like this, you know, people hold like this. I'm not saying it's better. It's just, it's a little healthier for human beings, right? Like I think when tribal, when, when, when cultures were more tribal, there was other kinds of problems, but definitely they didn't have these problems we're having now, right? Of, I mean, that basic human problems of suffering, they didn't have this problem of the extra separation, right? We're very isolated. We're very cut off. Not only because, like I said, we're cut off from each other, but we're also cut off from ourselves. So that's the first thing to repair, that division. And for me personally, I really believe that this repairing has to be done in the body. So the practice I offered is one technique to do that. It's not the only technique. There's lots of body awareness practices out there. Uh, like I said, some of us may need to work with someone more one-to-one. -one. So that's the first step, aligning that division, healing, repairing that. Then there's the, there's the relational division, right? So it started today repairing, uh, the you know, you really pointed it out, the relational division between us and the earth we live on, which this earth isn't just a ground, like I said, where I was kind of in, I was giving it qualities, right, uh, as, a, as a symbolism. But it's also, we can uh, sort of recognize, it's also how we're connected to all other beings who are alive and who are definitely like sentient and aware, right? And so once we wake that capacity up, we begin to wake up a relational awareness, right? A relational practice is what I talked about yesterday at, at Inside LA and in uh, East Hollywood. But essentially, if that division between the body and heart-mind is still there, it's very difficult to work with the relational divisions, right? And these relational divisions are the sense of me being a self out here that is disconnected from another person out there. And it doesn't mean we're not a nice person or we don't know how to be friendly to people or talk to people or be polite or be caring and compassionate sometimes. It just means this sense of being separate, right? Which is an illusion. It really is an illusion. And this is a really tricky territory because it doesn't mean that I am you and you are me or that you think my thoughts and I think yours. It just means the, the dropping away of the ego's fragmentation of our experience, which from a Buddhist perspective is what is causing suffering, right? When we really get down to it, you know, so like I said, I've studied a lot of complicated language on this and a lot of things, and I think that's useful because what Buddhism is really good at traditionally is clarity and precision. And, and so at a certain point, we might need that precision to cut through some of the vagueness of our of our experience, right, or the vagueness of our meditative experience. Some of us just end up in, a, in kind of a vast, awake, aware space, but then it has no guts. It just, you know, it has no prajna or insight, right? So we do need the path. It's not like we can just throw it out and replace it with some new age thing. We can't. It's, I mean, this is 2,600 years of research, of R&D is what I call it, right? <laughs> 2,600 years. That's a lot. Think of how many hundreds and thousands of men and women and, and folks and people have, have, you know, researched it and given it to us. And so my perspective is we also have a responsibility not to screw that up.
But now we're doing R&D on Americans and Colombians and South Americans and Canadians, right? And we have to figure out, okay, how does this work? And so what I'm waiting for is uh, enlightened American. Then that person, and maybe they're out there already, when they start to teach, that's when they're going to be able to give us a, a lot of tools of how to work with us culturally, right? Because it's not just going to be coming from their head, it will be coming from the heart and from their realization. So anyways, um, I'm getting off topic. <laughs> so, so I was getting into these divisions. So that's kind of what I wanted to talk about more or less today. Um, and maybe now we'll practice a little bit more so it doesn't become so conceptual and heady. But the, the, the first division is really this, this mind-body division. And again, I don't think there's a way to... There's, you know, we want to heal this so bad conceptually. We want to talk therapy our way out of this. It's just, I don't think it's possible, right? I'm not dissing things like talk therapy. They're really helpful. But we also need to come in. We need to come into the body. We need to make that connection that's been disconnected. And just to be clear, because uh, it was kind of in Soleil's question, it came out a little bit, uh, or, or what made me think of this, this is not a, a, a quick fix. It's not like you, know, you just go and do a little mindfulness meditation and it's all good and go to the beach. It's not like that. <laughs> um, for many of us, it's a little painful too. It's, it's, I would say it's a lot painful. I mean, when I was meeting that anxiety that was, has been prevalent for most of my life, yeah, I don't want to meet that. You know? Everything is telling me to run and scream and, and you know, avoid that, right? So, but, so gently over time, over many months, over many years... There was the meeting could become more and more loving, and this is the sense where I, you know we can ask ourselves this question here: Do we feel loving towards others? I think you probably do, right? You look like a good, happy California crowd, right? <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah. <laughs> so I could ask you that, yeah. Now, do you feel loving towards yourself? Yes. You do. Okay. Loving kindness. Sometimes. Not loving kindness. Because I get attached to love. So we have to define love, because maybe I haven't defined it more clearly. Do you feel a tenderness towards yourself? Do you feel warmth often towards yourself? Yes. Okay, well, pretty good. Most people are like, no. Right? So I don't know. Maybe we're in Long Beach, everybody, you know, you're, you're clicked in. But anyways, the, the question here is more of an exploration, you know? I want you to explore that, right? I mean, for me, personally, if I'm very honest with you, sometimes. Like, like your answer was very honest, I thought, you know? Sometimes I feel tender and I can, I can meet something, I can turn towards it with an embrace, uh, uh, with, with kind of compassion, right? Willing to, to sit with it. And sometimes, no. Sometimes I'm like, just give me the fuck out of this body, you know? Like, give me something that feels better, right? And there's nothing wrong with that. There's no blame or shame here. It's just how it is. So how do we access and practice that tenderness? So it's a practice here. It's not like you're good or bad because you can do it or not. No, it's a, we're habituating. I hope I've already established that from a Buddhist perspective, this is a little scary, so sorry if I'm kind of putting this on you. We're nothing but our conditioning, right? I, I don't know. if that, doesn't, that scares me a lot. Super scary. Why not? Because you should examine it and understand it and be comfortable yes. with it and embrace it like the ego voice when you said it wants to. This is my vulnerability, man. <laughs> you don't accept my vulnerability? 
I think through right concentration, you can overcome that. Okay. Guruji. <laughs> we'll talk after. So anyways, um, my point is that uh, I personally think this is quite a vulnerable situation. And, and a lot of us, you know, it's the underlying root of why we kind of feel like we don't notice it. I call it like the slow rug pull. You know, because if the rug's pulled out from under us really quickly, we notice it. But it's sort of like we get stable in an experience. I'm just talking samsara now, just like human sentient being experience in, from ego fragmentation. It's like you settle in, it's like, mm, I'm finally in my, in my spot. And then like, nope. And then the rug slowly goes. Why? Because of impermanence, because of the first mark of existence, right? Anicca. So because of Anicca, everything changes. And it's one thing to notice that conceptually, but I'm talking about coming into an embodied experience of that. That is vulnerable. If you want to tell me it's not, I, don't, I, think, you're, I think you're lying, actually, a little bit. Conceptually, we could get the understanding. I know it's not vulnerable, that it shouldn't be vulnerable. I know that we should accept that as a sort of mark of existence, as a characteristic. But that's different than the meeting that experience and processing that through. And so the B- Buddha asked us in the First Noble Truth, to know suffering, not to know it like think it, to know it. You get it, right? That's the difference. That's a huge distinction, I think. And this is where the Buddhist path begins to really open, getting us out of our conceptual framework and into experience, right? So um, let's practice, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. And then I'll leave a little bit for, for Q&A. We're just going to do a kind of a quick one, short one. So feel free to settle in and, just coming into a relaxed and alert posture. We've talked about a lot of things. <laughs> I know I probably hit a chord. I feel like I hit a chord to myself, so I don't know. <laughs> and so now can we take that chord and can we offer tenderness towards that? So I don't, I don't mean the phrase of metta. If, if you need to do that or resource that, that's fine. I mean actually eat the feeling in the body. What does that vulnerability or tenderness feel like? And again, if you do not feel like it's appropriate to access that right now, you have full permission not to. It's not about pushing here. So can we meet that in the body or whatever's arising in the body with a compassionate presence, a sense of being willing to listen and sit alongside of that, like we would our best friend, our partner, a child, in the most loving way. We're not talking about love as craving, we're talking about love as a tender, warm presence. What does that feel like when you offer that towards your body and yourself? Without bypassing the feeling. While you're doing that, notice where the ego is trying to contract and bind. You may feel that contraction literally in your muscles or the fascia in the body. Just allow. There's no tool to go in there and root it out or fix it. There's just space. 
There's just presence. There's just tenderness and warmth, if we can apply that right now. And if we can't, just be kind to yourself that that's hard. Be kind that that's not accessible right now. Again, please use the breath. The breath can be soothing when you're hitting something really challenging. When anxiety is starting to overwhelm the body. See if you can also meet that anxiety with tenderness. Whatever, if there's a numbness, meeting that with presence and tenderness. There's no right and wrong. There's nowhere you should be. There's just where you are, and it's meeting that listening to that. So when we drop the expectations that we should be feeling something different than we are, we actually provide the space of love and warmth. Again, just in our last minute or two of practice, if you begin, if you'd like to expand, meeting the rest of the body, meeting your sense of hearing, smell, taste, and eventually sight, I'll let you guide your own bridge. I call this bridging from the formal practice to the informal or post-meditation, where we carry this embodied awareness back into our day, into all of our relational activities, walking, talking, 
spend the next minute bridging for yourself. time for like one one or two questions if they're not too long and I just want to I know we've been we've kind of been exchanging a lot but I just I like to offer that opportunity so after connecting with the body you were just saying that the going toward the emptying out then then you can go towards the uh, nature mm -hmm. out there I don't know I'm just like kind of comparing it to the contraction and expansion uh, uh, phenomena. So after contraction, there comes the expansion, but after expansion also comes contraction. So it's all constant <coughs> contraction. Expansion. I don't. What do you ref like? What system or thing you're referring? Like a scientific system you're referring to, or philosophical? Are, yeah, I mean. Are your your experience? Sorry. Is it your experience? Or you're talking about no, something? Oh. No, it's not my experience. No. Yeah, I'm not sure. Okay. I mean, but there's. MT, uh, yeah, yeah. It's not quite contraction expansion. It's more like contraction expansion are still dualistic, but we have to work with that flavor until we go beyond a dualistic structure, and then it's not contraction or expansion. But you could say there's feelings of like spaciousness, but it's kind of tricky. But after spaciousness, and on this, uh, it does not come the contraction again, and then the expansion again, and the contraction again. I don't think so. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it's sort of like when we when when we live from a from a wide awake place that's fully realizing shunyata. I'm, I mean, we're talking. I'm talking about shunyata, right? Uh, when it's fully realizing that, I don't have that experience, so I'm just guessing, right, based off of teachings from my teachers. But um, uh, yeah, I don't think because it's the ego that fragments and contracts, and when we're not living from that space, it's just it's really hard to describe because it's sort of like what does it mean to still experience? but not experience from a dualistic framework. Yeah. Very difficult thing to describe. I mean, a lot, Buddhism basically is trying to describe that. <laughs> Actually, more it's describing the path to that. But there are some texts that just try to describe that. Very difficult. I mean, the Buddha, that was the very first thing he said from a Mayana Buddhist perspective. He, I mean, I, maybe I'll read the full quote. I think I've read it here before. I, I should memorize these things, but I'm a really bad, <laughs> really bad Buddhist. Because <laughs> memorization is what it's about. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Let's forget everything today. Just memorize stuff. Ten things. Those eight things. So the Buddha said, um, "This is one one perspective of of what happened when he attained enlightenment under the Bodhi tree, right? Um, when it's the story related to when Brahma asked him to teach, you know, to teach, and he refused the first time, right? So he said, um, profound, peaceful, beyond constructs, luminous and unconditioned." I've found a nectar like Dharma. Whomever I teach it to will not understand, so I will stay here silent in the forest. Right? So those profound, peaceful, beyond constructs, luminous and unconditioned, these are the five, five ways we describe Buddha nature, the five ways we describe awakening. So he, it's like, it's amazing. It's the first thing he said. So it's kind of like, but what does that mean? They're just words to us, right? We have to experience it. You have just listened to a recording from Insight LA in Long Beach. 
For more information, please visit us at insightla.org.